Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is Preston Martineau. Preston runs Diamond M Horse Training in Oregon. Now, Diamond M is a full-service facility. Preston takes on outside horses, works on his own rain cow horses, and even boards a few horses. Throughout this episode, Preston explains his upbringing in Los Angeles, California, where he played baseball and spent a lot of time surfing. Preston has quite the journey and traded in his spikes and his surfboard for a chance at being a professional horseman. Now, Preston and I met earlier this year through Team Equine Saddle Pads, and although Preston is early on in his professional career, His level of determination and the pride that he takes in his horses have established the foundation for his successful program. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Preston Martineau. Preston Martineau, what's going on, brother? How you doing, Jason? Good, 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 man. I just want to take a second before we get too deep in anything. And thank you for making time for everybody at Let Freedom Reign Podcast and sharing your testimony, your story here today. Yeah, you bet. Happy to do it. What's going on this morning or what's been new around the barn? Uh, Well, we're coming into the rainy stuff now. So we've just been kind of this last few weeks preparing for winter, I guess you could say. We just finally got the barn resided and all the doors up and the new stall runs are in. So we're, uh, you know, we're cruising along and we're ready for the winter, ready for the rain and ready for a little bit of a slower pace for the next few months. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of nice to take a breather, isn't it? Oh, man, this this summer, spring, summer, fall has been crazy this year with showing and and uh, just trying to grow the business and, and grow grow our family and all that other stuff. It's just been just been plum crazy. It's incredible. How hard of a winter do you guys get up there? Oh gosh, uh, I mean it's nothing like the winters we've had in Montana or Wyoming or even Eastern Oregon. It's real rainy, and it gets cold, but not cold, super cold. You know, like twenties and thirties, forties. Yeah. Um, but with how wet it is in the air, man, it's just bone chilling. Yeah, I was gonna say the the tough part is keeping those horses' feet dry and not letting them rot out through the winter. Their feet, they usually gain a full shoe size just because of all that moisture and stuff and then shrink back down in the summer. So I like to pull all the shoes off and let them go barefoot. Yeah. If I can if I can get away with it all winter, kind of just let that foot take its natural Makes sense natural if, you're not, if you're not using them or showing them or there's not a performance need for it, you know? Yeah. Well, like our rainers, we'll pull all the sliders off the rainers and just let them go barefoot and kind of regain that natural balance that they like and kind of let those feet grow out a little bit and we'll just trim them every four weeks and keep them real nice good stuff good stuff so you run diamond m horse training and you got a boarding facility and and some performance horses up there yes we do why don't you kind of elaborate a little bit on on the operation you got going well um it's an operation that's run by my wife and myself i put my wife first because obviously she's the boss yes sir and we we just you know, we, we train horses, we, we start colts, which is my favorite thing to do. I've got, we've got three right now. 
that uh, that we're going to start in January when I recover from my knee surgery. That's going to go down in the next three weeks or so. Well, that's going to be exciting. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Three weeks of sitting on the couch and not doing anything is going to just drive me nuts. Oh man, I had my right foot rebuilt a couple years ago, and going into the surgery, they said, "Hey, you know, it's bad. We're going to have to." to move some stuff around and get it all lined up again, but we don't know how bad it is until we get in there. Right. Man, I came out of surgery and they're talking about, well, we had to refracture your foot and we had to <laughs> pin a bone and we had to fuse a joint. And coming nice. out of the surgery, they said, oh, you're going to be in a little bit of pain. And, and I have a pretty decent pain tolerance, but I'll tell you what, man, my foot swelled up like a balloon. I was laying on the, the bottom of the couch, you know, where you sit. And I would just hang my foot over the back of the couch where your back rests, trying to keep that thing as elevated as possible. It was yeah. a rid- ridiculous amount of pain. Not to give you any words of encouragement going into your surgery or anything. But. <laughs> right. Well, this is so. This is the third surgery, the third surgery on this knee, and it's the same surgery I've had the last two times. Um, so I'm. I mean, I know the drill. It's it's crappy, but yeah, it's part of it. Man, it hurts real bad right now. So that's what I tell people. Man, growing up is the stupidest thing I ever did. <laughs> well, the thing is, like when I was when I was younger, riding bulls and and saddle broncs and steer dogging and and jumping off stuff and riding motorcycles and just being, uh, you know, thinking you're kid. bulletproof. Yeah. Like, and everybody says, "Hey, it's going to catch up with you. Your body's just one day going to hit a wall, and you're going to start slowing down." Well, I think about last year, I hit that wall. Gotta love it. And, and now you wake up every morning and, and your whole body just hurts, man. This, you know, we sure, I sure didn't pick the gentlest way to earn a living. Yeah, no kidding, no. For your body, it, uh, you know, but it, in my opinion, it's the most rewarding. And we're doing, you know, back to your original question is we just do, we do a lot of horse training, a lot of performance training. I'm getting a, um, a mechanical cow. Uh, next week so i'm really looking forward to having my own cow track that's going to be really cool i got some really nice horses to start this winter and then show them all next year and got some horse client horses in training and some boarding horses and we're just trying to make our living you know using horses as i say it sounds like you had a pretty versatile operation you know with the boarding side and outside clients and your own internal horses and show gotta definitely keep you busy yeah, and then you throw our one-year-old son in the mix. Oh, got to love that, man. And uh, sometimes it's hard to get stuff done, but uh, we always find a way to, to pull through and, and get done what we need to get done. We've got some great friends that will give up a Saturday or a Sunday or both and come down here and help us reside the barn or help us put a new culvert in or you know whatever manual labor that's too big for me and my wife to get done usually we just have friends and family come over and help so that's a huge blessing and huge weight off our shoulders financially and just emotionally being able to just call somebody and be like hey man we need your help for a day sure no problem i'll be there oh absolutely i mean nine times out of ten with those projects the material and what actually goes into putting it together ain't that expensive but once right. you start hiring outside contractors or the quote-unquote oh, experts, man. man, they run it up on you in a hurry. Yeah, they like to use that word, don't they? Yeah. Experts. Yeah. I'm an expert. Exactly. <laughs> Good stuff, man. So obviously a lot of this podcast is predicated on on horses and how they've influenced people throughout their lives and stuff like that. And you, you kind of mentioned your, your uh, rodeo career a little bit before this, but if you don't mind sharing with people how you got started in the horse world. 
So this is this is a funny story, and everybody that that gets to know me on a personal level always asks me this question, and uh, it's always the same answer. I grew up in the middle of Los Angeles. So horse country. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, horse country. Yeah, there ain't no better horse country than the middle of. LA, yeah, I mean, man. come on, Compton, right? There's got to be tons um, of horses. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I grew up surfing and, and playing baseball and, and hanging out and causing trouble in LA and night, nighttime trips to Hollywood and what have you. And I got into school wasn't going the greatest for me. So my parents, you know, took an investment in my future and thought it would be best to send me to a boarding school in Sisters, Oregon. Uh, obviously I wasn't very happy about that at 17 years old, you know, it was my going to be my senior year of high school. I was, I was doing, I was going to be on the, you know, the senior squad of the baseball team and was really looking forward to that. And, uh, they shipped me off to sisters, Oregon, where I got there and, you know, was there for a few months. And the guy that ran the place, uh, asked me if I wanted to, to take care of his horses that he had there. And, by that, he just meant, you know, cleaning the stable and feeding and... Doing all the chores that he didn't want to do. Yeah, exactly. And so I had fun doing that, and I asked him one day if I could ride him, and he said, sure. And so, you know, he showed me how to saddle him up and and tack him up and, and ride him. And I remember it was an old nylon saddle. It was just... Oh, but Jesus. I didn't know, yeah, man. I didn't. It was like an Abeta saddle or something. I didn't know any better. I just... And I think it was way too small for me now that I think back upon it. I look at some pictures, and it looks like I'm riding a, a, a jockey horse or something. <laughs> um, so anyway, I get, I get decently decent at riding these the, as an Appaloosa and a, a 20-something-year-old quarter horse mare with three and a half feet in the grave already. And then one day he came back to the place, and he had a three-year-old Appy quarter horse mare that was just halter broke and uh said hey this is your project horse and uh so i started that horse uh with some help from the sidelines and a bunch of screaming and yelling and no don't do that <laughs> yeah i was gonna um, say so so growing up in la getting yeah. transplanted at, at the sister's organ and having no aspirations of horse training then handed a three-year-old that's halter broke and saying go for it i mean how yeah. in god's green earth do you make that transition I don't, I don't know, man. I, I, I remember though that I thought I was pretty hot stuff because I had, uh, I had a sweet, you know, growing up in LA, we don't, we didn't have any of this kind of Western wear, if you will, but I had a sweet Carhartt jacket and I had some <laughs> sweet Tony Llama cowboy boots. Oh, and, you're, uh, dude, you're validated. You're validated. Dude, you are a cowboy I now. Had, I had the Wrangler <laughs> jeans and, uh, my Stetson 10X. Uh, cowboy hat, man, and I thought I was just as cool as they came. Yeah, I was gonna say, if you're dressed like that, how are you not successful in the horse world? Uh, yes, that's a that's a better question. <laughs> 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 so anyway, we got this. I got this horse about halfway decent. You know, uh, I wouldn't call her a broke horse. <laughs> At least you're being fair in your assessment. But by God, you could get on her cold duck and 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 him and ha and pull her from left to right in a snaffle bit, and she wouldn't try and kill you. So that, in my mind, was a success. 
Um, anyway, so I did my time there, um, turned 18, uh, went back to California, sat around on my butt for a while, worked at a gas station, realized, uh, this isn't what I want with my life. I hated it in LA. I never really did like the culture in LA growing up. I always felt I belonged somewhere else. Um, so there was always that sort of discomfort from my entire youth up to my adulthood where when I finally left California for good, I just, I never felt like I belonged. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. Absolutely. And it was, it was a hard, it was hard to, to, to grow up with that feeling like you didn't, like you weren't fitting in there for some reason, but I could never, I could never tell why. As I say, not knowing what to do about it. Right? That'd be the biggest just, frustration. Yes. There was always just this higher calling that I thought was pulling me in a different direction. I just had no idea where I needed to go. You know, I, I wasn't any good in school. Um, my extracurricular activities consisted of surfing, playing baseball, and, um, and the heck with everything else. I uh, turned 18, went back to California, needed out. So I, li- I, I got on Ranch World Abs. Uh, which is still around. It's still a great tool. I get on there every day and look for horses and and whatever odd things they have for sale, saddles, spurs, whatever. And so I got on this Ranch World website and uh, applied for a job at the Double Diamond X Ranch in Wyoming. It was a dude ranch uh, about two hours outside of Cody on South Fork Road. And uh, on my application, man, I lied my butt off. I said, I've been riding horses since I was 10 years old. Certified horse trainer. Certified, yeah, certified <laughs> cowboy. <laughs> cowboy to the core. I can do it all. Ah, this poor and, ranch, uh, man. They probably thought, dude, we got this stud showing up here pretty quick. He's going to handle business so, all summer. I was so green and wet behind the ears, man. I had no idea what the heck I was doing. So I get a call from the ranch. They say, all right, we'd like to hire you. Can you be out here in two weeks? I says, yes. Didn't have a car, didn't have a driver's license. So I went up to my old man. I said, hey, I need a flight to Wyoming. Um, He helped me out with that. Get there, get to the ranch. And that's when the reality of the fact that, that's when the reality set in of, oh my gosh, I'm at like, like these are all cowboys. Um, and I'm and, not, and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I've ridden three horses in my entire life. One of them was old. The other was stubborn and the third just wasn't broke. So I have no idea what I'm doing. And you know, these, I'm sure these cowboys could smell it on me. Um, so we had dinner the next morning. It was, all right, go saddle up. Let's go for a ride. And I saddled my horse. They gave me a horse. His name was Copenhagen. Love it. Yes, and my other, my second horse's name was Skull, and Skull was crazy. Um, big old flea-bitten gray horse. But anyway, I saddled this horse up, Copenhagen, and they're like, all right, let's warm up in the arena before we go out and see how you ride. And oh my gosh, man. It was, I wish I had video of that so I could look back and see how far I've come. Because I was, I mean, arms out, elbows flapping like I was trying to take off in the air. The old jackhammer and chicken wing going down the arena. Dude, it was rough, man. And and I thought I was doing great, you know. I was like, oh, yeah, look at me. I'm doing good. Dude, the good old Marlboro man, man. (laughs) 
Yeah. So um, the 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 cow boss uh, Adam Richardson came up to me and he's just he's like, hey, what? Uh, how long you been riding? And I was like, oh gosh, honestly. And I came clean and uh, I said, please don't fire me. I'm here to learn. I'll shut my mouth. I'll do all the crap jobs. I'll do what's expected of me. I just want to learn more about this. And they kept me on. And I was the butt and the brunt of a lot of jokes and a lot of pranks. Some of them uh, worse than others. <laughs> Some a little more innocent. But man, I got the crap kicked out of me by those by those boys. And uh, it made me tougher. It made me better for it. From there, I went on to... We got, we, I was 19 at the time and then, uh, got a little alcohol in me for one of the first times in my life and thought I'd jump on a bull. Oh, that's a good start. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't, we weren't at a rodeo. We were down at the, we were down at the ranch at the calve operation and, uh, they hooked up a little, a little 700 pound little bull calf, I guess you could call it with a, a flank rope and a, and a hand. And uh, set me loose. Fell off after two jumps, shattered my wrist. Oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah. So then, of course, it was, hey, guys, I think I hurt my wrist. Well, stop being a sissy. Cowboy up. You're fine. Yeah, I was going to say, with alcohol um, in, a, in, a, in a bull that's never been ridden before, I mean, what, what, yeah. nothing wrong could go there. No. And it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't a bucking bull, man. It was just a little Angus bull. That they yeah, had. a little breeding bull. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, they, you know, for a week, it was cowboy up, stop complaining about your hand, blah, blah, blah. Finally got so bad that I went to the hospital, they x-rayed it, found out it was broken. Um, I lost my job because we weren't, uh, we weren't uh, allowed to ride any rough stock. That was part of our, that was the owner's thing was no, no riding Bronx, no riding bulls. If you guys work for me. Yeah, because you guys you are know. an asset and you can't be going down left and right. Right. So got fired, um, went back to California against my better judgment, went back to work for the uh, gas station, couldn't stand it anymore. So I went to look for another ranch to work out. Um, this time I found myself in Arkansas at Horseshoe Canyon Ranch, uh, which is still very much alive and thriving over there in Jasper, Arkansas. Um, it's a really cool place. Uh, they do, uh, it's a guest ranch. They, they have a, quite a few horses, quite a bunch of land. Um, they do a bunch of rock climbing and, um, man, the, in the last 10 years, they've just come so far with all their stuff that I can't even believe I one time worked there. Um, but we took, we took the guests on trail rides and, you know, did the whole nose to tail thing and, uh, for however much fun it was being in that environment, that job was extremely boring. Holy cow. You know, and we started some colts while we were there, rode some pretty rank horses that they had went and bought from the auction and, and brought back to see if they could make decent dude horses out of them. Make a trail horse out of it. Holy cow, man. There's one horse named Valet. And we called him valet because he'd park you wherever he wanted. <laughs> I'm not even I was joking, gonna say, man. When you drop the name valet, we know exactly where that's going. The rankest horse I've ever ridden in my life. And he, would, he, he, was, he wasn't even counterfeit. 
because you know he was never honest he was just always just a rank pile i love it but we had this relationship where i i just i couldn't stay off of him i also couldn't stay on him (laughs) but so so you just stand there at the stall and watch him or what uh, no, I mean, I tried, <laughs> man, I tried to get this horse broke. I tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and I got bucked off probably two dozen times, hurt myself, but I always got back on, always, every single time. As soon as I catch my breath or quit rubbing whatever hurt the most, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'd, go, I'd go try and catch this horse and get back on. And, and that, to me, was fun. The adrenaline rush and the the... I don't know what it was about riding bucking, that bucking horse, but um, I think that's what got me started wanting to ride Saddle Bronx. Anyway, one time I got bucked off of him, and my buddy said, hey, are you going to get back on? I said, nope, I'm done with him. He goes, you're really hurt this time, huh? I said, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to limp good. this one off. So he got on him, got thrown off, and I think the next week the boss took that horse back to the sale barn. Nobody ever. Yeah, I was saying now it started its career as a bucking horse. Yeah. So that was that, and then um, I left there, and from there I just I kind of went to work on random outfits. Uh, worked for Christiansen Farms and Ranch in Idaho, going out into the hills of uh, southeastern Idaho and gathering uh, gathering pears and and uh, roping big bulls and bringing them in for the winter and putting them out. Um, I tried for about a month and a half. I tried my hand at, at farming. How'd that go? Real, dude, I am not a farmer. Hey, everybody's got their place in this world, right? I, I, re, I have the utmost respect for those guys that can sit in a tractor all day and, and work all that equipment and produce our, harvest our crops for us and, and what have you. I've got the utmost respect for farmers, but man, I couldn't do that job. It was just too, too mundane, too boring. Um, just sit here and, and, shift gears all day not for me man um so yeah i did that christiansen farms uh then i went back to california because cowboying wasn't paying very good and uh, i started working for a barn in santa barbara i moved i moved out of la and moved to santa barbara and that's kind of when i started getting a little out of hand i'd been doing the cowboying thing for six years and I had kind of just missed that, or this is what I, how I justify it now, is I, I, th- I think I kind of missed that whole be a kid party and 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 just be a kid and do stupid things. I went right from right from school right into the cowboying culture where there was no time to party or do anything like that. So I moved back to Santa Barbara. Or I moved to Santa Barbara, started working for a barn um, that did. Uh, English riding, uh, jumpers and what have you. And I was just, you know, I was a stall cleaner and I exercised the horses and lunged the horses out, fed and all that stuff. And then that got boring. So I quit doing that. And I went to work for a diving company that, uh, works in, in the harbors and cleans the bottom of boats. Quit doing that after a couple of months because, uh, I kept getting sinus infections from the water quality. Uh, went to work for a bar and I started bouncing and then I was the door guy and then I was a manager and uh, then I started working for a tattoo shop and it all just kind of 
everything just kind of started spiraling out of control and I was kind of just on the run and you know not making good decisions uh, with who I associated myself with uh, the things I was doing the things I was putting into my body just not being a good guy you know never hurting anybody but just not doing the things that I needed to be doing yeah not um, taking care of yourself right not taking care of myself and and just being extremely irresponsible riding motorcycles like I was some sort of out, you know outlaw it was just it wasn't it wasn't good and uh, I did that for five years or so and then on my 30th birthday we went up to a big ranch and when I say ranch I know most of the listeners are thinking horse ranch cattle ranch whatever this was uh, some rich guy owned a big spread on the coast of Santa Barbara and he called it his ranch it had I don't think there was a horse cow on the place one I love it so I went up there for for a birthday party because the the fourth of July doubles as my birthday so I went up there to celebrate my birthday and uh, and our great country and I uh, you know I uh, was hanging out with some friends and did some stuff I shouldn't have done and woke up the next morning going man if you don't get out of here something bad's gonna happen it's time to change your life uh it's time to go back to what you know how to do and what you've been fighting because the whole time i was in santa barbara i had this feeling that i needed to be elsewhere and i just kept fighting that feeling like it was just oh there's no money in cowboying or oh it's so hard or oh it's too tough and i don't want to get bucked off a horse again i've had enough of that so finally, I, and, and my mom and my dad and everybody that really knew me was, was always asking, why don't you get back in the horses, man? That's when you were the most happy. That's what you're good at. And I just refused to acknowledge that fact. Until that day, after the 4th of July, on the 5th of July, I realized, man, I got to get out of here. I need to get back to the horses. So I had sold all my tack. The only thing I had was uh, one pair of cowboy boots and they were my bull riding boots, so they weren't hardly comfortable. Yeah, I was gonna say. And yeah, and uh, and my 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 shaps that I bought that my dad got for me as a birthday gift in Wyoming. And uh, so I, I made some phone calls, and I called a guy in Eastern Oregon named Will Howe, and uh, he offered month long clinics. Uh, well, I guess it's less of a clinic and more of like a school. Uh, his school of, of fine horsemanship is what they called it. The Wilhouse school of fine, fine horsemanship. And, uh, I called him up and asked if I could do this 30 day program. I'd never heard of him before. I uh, did a little bit of research, found out he'd done quite a bit of winning back in his day in the eighties, seventies and eighties. And, you know, has nice horses, always has nice horses. So I just spoke with him on the phone and, and him and his wife discussed it and said, yes, we'd love to host you. And, have you come up for our school? Uh, can you be here in two weeks? And I said, yes. I sold everything that I could sell. I had a friend watch my dogs. I bought a $3,000 travel trailer, which was in shambles. And I headed up to Oregon from Santa Barbara and uh, got to Will's Ranch. And, you know, I'll make a really long story short. But Will took the very raw skills that I had and fine-tuned them, sharpened them, and introduced me 
to the world of reined cow horses. And I have never looked back. I don't want anything else in my life uh, professionally other than these performance horses now. I'm absolutely in love with them. The I've, I've ridden dozens and dozens and dozens of bulls and saddle broncs and you know probably a couple hundred steer dog and runs and no no adrenaline rush i've had on those animals has come close to the adrenaline rush i get before my fence work with these cow horses man uh so i found my niche uh, i'm good at it at least i think i'm good at it I can stay on the horse. Let's put it that way. I was gonna say you ain't sliding on the dirt by yourself. So yeah, knock on wood, we've uh, we've yet to hit the ground on a fence run. I was gonna say that fence work. I was at the Magnificent Seven in Sacramento earlier this year, and man, there are a couple big wrecks. That stuff gets dangerous. Oh, when you've got well, if you think about it, you've got you've got ten legs, we're, and they're all trying to work. You know, eight of those legs or six of those legs are trying to work against the other four legs. You've got 10 legs, three brains, and between all, all the animals, you probably got over 2,000 pounds of, uh, of, of wreck that's possibility. Yeah. And so you put all these moving parts uh, in extreme close proximity to each other, traveling down the fence just as fast as you can go. Yeah, what, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of energy and a bunch of objects that don't move, like fences and rails and all sorts of stuff but it's fun oh and, it's awesome uh, to watch it's awesome to watch and the amount of money that has that has come out of this business just you know you look at the snaffle bit futurities you look at the stallion stakes or the derby like the amount of money that some of these cowboys are winning is just absolutely insane guys like nick dowers and Corey cushing doug williamson Brandon Butters, those guys are just, those guys are riding, in my opinion, the best horses in this country for, for cow work. And it's just, I, you know, watching the Futurity uh, online the other day was just, you know, it just gets me amped up to go out in the barn and do my job. Yeah, get after it. Yeah. Just, just watching those guys ride, they make it look so effortless. And then I reflect on... I reflect on my cow horse runs and, you know, I'm like, man, what, what am I doing? Why can't I get it? Like these guys, and it's just like any professional athlete, baseball players, basketball players, football, whatever. They make their job look easy. Yep. And, and that is the thing that I have to keep realizing is that these guys have been doing this for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And, years. and they are now at the top. And I am at the bottom, and I've been doing this not nearly as long as they have. So for me, it takes – I get really bummed out, and I get really down on myself after after a cow run. You know, my wife was talking to me about it the other day. We had a friend that came to the show to watch me run, and uh, I did my run and went back to the stalls to untack my horse and, and tack up another one. And uh, – you know, later on in the day, she was like, you know, your your friend wanted to go down there and, and see you. And I just told him, you know, better off. Just Preston needs that time to decompress. Yeah. Just leave, leave him alone for those. He'll come up when he's ready. 
leave him alone for a few minutes. And, and she was exactly right. And that's why I love my wife so much is because she's able to take my very raw uh, emotions and she deals with it extremely well. Um, and she's able to see through all the BS and tell me not what I want to hear. She tells me what I need to hear. And there's huge respect in that. And yes, huge respect. And sometimes, man, it pisses me off. But, you know, you take that, you take that 10 seconds to be really pissed off. And then you dissect the information that she gave you. And you're like, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. So my wife has probably, no, not probably. My wife has been the biggest blessing in my life uh, to this point because she just, she compliments me so well and uh, is able to give me the kind of criticism, constructive criticism um, that I need and, and do it in a way that's respectful and tactful and doesn't get me seeing red. It's amazing when you think about it, especially in the horse world, or I guess you could say any professional sport. I truly believe it does take a special woman to, to stand by any athlete's side because oh, it's not easy being on the road. It's not easy putting in the man hours. It's not easy not making money, right? And all, no. those, all those millions of hours that are stressed in the trenches that nobody sees. And yeah. these, these women are, I can't say forced, but these women are right there with, with their husbands through and yeah. through in it. So it's huge because in, in relationships that don't have that honesty and don't have that, you know, raw support, yeah, you see those guys falling apart left and right, you know, because oh, instead of worrying about what's going on in the pen, they're worrying about what's going on at home, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's awesome to have that support structure, especially, especially in the horse business. Gosh, man, and my, you know, Erin is just, she's such a saint because, you know, we go to these horse shows and I go there to compete. And the, the point of competing for me and my business is A, to make myself better, uh, B, to make my horses better, and C, to show off what my horses can do so that I can sell them for a bunch more money. And at these horse shows, you know, we, you, we generally leave on Thursday and get back on a Sunday or Monday. And, you know, I go deal with horses and my colleagues and and the other people that are showing and and you know i'm off jabbering when i'm not showing i'm usually off you know shooting the crap with somebody else or talking to the other trainers about this that or the other and, you know there she is with the baby um trying to keep him happy you know trying to make sure that she's there to see everything trying to make sure that she's there to video everything while she's trying to keep the baby quiet like you know she just goes above and beyond what would be expected of, of any wife. And I could not do what I'm doing now if it wasn't for her. She puts all our videos together. She put the website together. Uh, you know, she, she takes care of us. And without her, you know, like I said, I would not be where I am today. We wouldn't be where we are today. Uh, so she plays a huge, a huge role in this. And it's not just, she's not just there to help me. She's doing this for her own benefit. She, she enjoys this, you know, she's out there when she can, she's out there cleaning stalls and dragging the arena and grooming horses and tacking up and cooling them off. And, you know, she loves being involved and I love that she loves to be involved. Yeah. You guys make a great team. We do. And and that's it, I, it, go ahead. It, it, it's also nice that she's smoking hot too. Well, that's always a plus, right? 
<laughs> you always strive to marry up, right? Yeah, dude. I mean, sometimes I wonder what she's doing with riffraff like me. Yeah, that's what I, I apologize to my wife sometimes. I'm like, hey, uh, when you look at this relationship, you might have drawn the short stick. I'm, I apologize. Uh, oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. So let's talk about your show season and your program and, and what you got yeah. going in, in your barn. Let's start with the development of your program, right? How you how you make that transition from being basically being a ranch hand to to trying to be a pro cowboy. Okay, um, ranch hand to professional cowboy. Gee whiz. Uh, well, I think the number one part is I got tired of working for other people. I worked. I've worked for a lot of people. I've done. You know, I give you a very brief overview of my life. There were a couple, you know, jobs that I didn't mention and this, that, and the other. But I, you know, for a, a 30, gosh, I can't remember if I'm 33 or 30, 33-year-old guy, I've been around the block uh, quite a few times. And um, I've worked for a lot of people. And I've always just hated having to take and uh, having to take something that somebody created and then making them money while I'm not making any. Yeah. And the cowboying thing, it's not about the money. It's about doing what you love to do. And that was fine. And that was really good because I love doing the cowboying thing. But the, I, I wasn't surviving. I wasn't, I wasn't able, you know, by the time insurance payments got taken out and, uh, you know, made my truck payment, bought a couple cans of chew, 12 pack of beer, you know, at the end, and, and a couple of meals down at the cafe. You know, I had I had change in my hand at the end of the month. I think when I was working for one ranch, I was making six hundred dollars a month, six fifty a month. I think is what I was was what I was netting from that. Yeah, it's tough to make a living, dude. And that's be, that's before you go out and and you, and you buy your tobacco and everything like that. So that's six hundred fifty bucks for the month, and that's it. And that that doesn't include truck payment, insurance. Like it was hard times there for a while. Um, and I struggled, I struggled quite a bit. I struggled a lot and there was just a lot of, there was a lot of unrest inside of me about that. And, and the whole time I was sitting there working going, well, he's up in that, he's up in his house, nice and comfortable, um, with a nice cup of coffee or, or, or a glass of whiskey, depending on what time of day it was. And, uh, you know, he's comfy and, He's got a lot of money, and I'm out here busting my butt for peanuts, and I just didn't—I didn't like that, and that's one of the reasons that I decided to say the heck with it and go out on my own is because I was tired of making other people money through my labor. I'm not, and I've never been a desk guy. Um, I've never been an office guy, so you know, we we just decided to do it. We, you know, we bought this place that we have now, um, and we were fortunate enough to, you know, with, with some help from a family member, uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to get this place. And uh, we've just been, we've been hammered down ever since. And we're, right now is finally when it's starting to pay off. We finally got the place looking decent. Because when we bought it, man, it was in shambles. Holy cow. Yeah, I remember you, you put a lot of work into that arena. Dude, you couldn't ride in the arena. It was covered in, in, in one and a half inch to two and three quarter inch crushed rock. Oh, the, guy that, the guy that owned the place before us had parked his haying equipment in there. And so he rocked the whole thing. 
and the stalls hadn't been used in 10 years and they raised guinea fowl in the stalls and man all just all this stuff uh with the leaks in the roof holy cow so we finally got the arena squared away it's really nice it's small but it's nice it's functional and everything else is just to the point where we want it so now we can kind of take our attention away from the grounds and really really go to work on these horses and and making these horses the best that they can be there's no to me there's no greater compliment in my business anyway there's no greater compliment than having another trainer uh that's that's good at what they do come up to you after your cow run or your reining pattern and say hey that that looked really good and and know that they genuinely mean it they're not just blowing smoke yeah Absolutely. I was at a horsemanship clinic not too long ago. We obviously had our challenges and our struggles throughout the week and trying to grow and develop. And towards the end of the week, people start riding up and saying that, man, you guys have come a long way. You know, it's exciting to see what you guys are doing. Yeah. Obviously, I take the compliments very humbly and, and I'm very grateful for them. But then I got to thinking later on that night, if you were to watch somebody ride yourself, how good would they have to do to motivate you to approach them and compliment them? Right. I mean, they got to do a pretty darn good job, right? So it, it kind of put things in a perspective that, man, maybe we are starting to figure some things out. Something's got like, yes, and I agree with you 100%. So whoever can, whoever comes up and gives you that compliment, they don't, because they don't do that to all 200 and something entries in the show. Yeah, don't get handed out for free. Uh, no. So, and, and why would a complete stranger come up to you to try and blow smoke? Exactly. You know, if they saw something they liked and they liked it, enough to come tell you about it that to me that means something and i appreciate that that praise yeah it's a huge show of respect well and it keeps dude that's what keeps my program going and not in a financial aspect or anything like that but for me emotionally knowing that people are recognizing my hard work and and how far i've come with my horse since the very first show of the season like, dude, it just, it means so much. It just, it's immeasurable, the amount of confidence and, and pride that it gives me to have somebody say, man, that horse at the beginning of the year, kind of meh, uh, now, holy cow, you've really got that horse's, you've really got that horse in the bridle real nice. Yeah, starting to figure Good some job. things out. Yes. So that's huge. Um, and, and I'm a, and I like to pay people compliments too when they're deserving. I think it's a big it's a big part of, uh, of, of being in this business. It's just, just the, the recognition from people that you don't know or the recognition from people that you do know that you respect as a hand. Yeah. Um, it's developing so, that community in any given discipline, right? Yes. And, and once you start getting towards the top tiers of, of any horse discipline, I mean, it truly becomes a family. Yeah, you're out competing and, and yeah, you're out chasing checks, but... When it comes down to it, I mean, you spend so much time with these people, whether it is on uh-huh. the road or competing or training or conversations or what, that, yeah, you guys might have different back numbers and, and are chasing the same same spot, you know, at the top of the podium, but everybody's pulling for everybody else. And that's what I love about the association that we're showing in right now. It might not be the biggest and brightest, you know, NRCHA, Snafflebit Futurity name, but gosh darn it, the, the people that we show with are the nicest uh, the nicest people I've come across with, like you said, it's like a big family and, and everybody is polite and nice and friendly. And even the people that you're competing against, 
the other trainers that are in the open division. I don't consider them competition. I consider them my colleagues. And some of them, some of them I've turned into friends uh, over this last year. And, and I appreciate them all. The, the invites out to their places to come ride, um, them wanting to come ride at my place and, and see it. And uh, just the overwhelming amount of, uh, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking I started that sentence before I had it formulated in my head. It's camaraderie. That's what it is. Support, camaraderie, uh, mutual admiration, whatever you want to call it. It's awesome. I love it. It keeps us going. No, it's incredible. So you guys are also running the boarding side up there. How many horses we do you are. guys take in? So right now, uh, we just have one boarder because I just, like I said, we were residing the barn. And uh, I had just gotten it finished last month. So we've got one boarder right now. We've got spots for three more boarders and two horses in training, two outside horses in training. Um, so I'm keeping two stalls available for uh, training horses, and then I've got three more for boarders, and the rest are taken out by my personal, by my wife and my personal horses. Now, when you're taking in boarders, are these other rank cow horse competitors or students, or are you taking in anybody that's looking to to ride a little bit? Um, and learn? We so I'm I'm kind of I don't know if you could call me different from how a lot of barns do it, but I'm very selective in who I invite to board in my barn. And the main reason for that is because our barn is about 150 feet away from our house. And we live here. We make our living here. And I, I want like-minded people in my barn. I know a lot of boarding barns have problems with drama and gossip and, and thievery. And, you know, just all the stuff that comes, comes along with having a bunch of people that you don't really know that great. Uh, essentially rent an apartment for their horse and uh i don't want i don't want that here i want everybody that boards their horses here i want them to get along i want them to be friendly i want them to value their horsemanship over just you know getting oh let's throw a chain bit on put the rock grinders on and go to work yeah i want them i i love that they value their horsemanship that they take care of their horses and if the vet needs to come out Boom, there's the vet. The shoer's out here all the time taking care of it. They're out here t two to three times a day cleaning stalls, watering, doing blankets, riding. That's how it should be in my mind. Uh, put the horse ahead of yourself. Owning a horse is a huge responsibility. It's not like a dog. It's a big, it's a big deal. It's a big animal. And uh, I, I think that in terms of boarding, we're only going to allow the people that, that are like-minded and um, that value their that, – that, that take their horses well – that put their horses well-being in front of their own. Um, and that's – I think you hit the nail on the head when you start talking about the, the amount of responsibility because I think oftentimes people get into this this horse deal because they want a horse as a pet, right? Oh, they, they want a unicorn, man. Yeah, and uh, you start to see that, you know, they're buying terrible feed – or they're buying terrible tack, you know, they're treating their horse like snot and and they just wanna they wanna have the horse to say that they ride horses. Right. And and then there's the folks that are cut from a different cloth that you're describing, right? Those people that genuinely invest in their animals because mm -hmm. when it comes down to it, I tell people this is a partnership. Yeah. You know, if you played team sports, you wouldn't treat your teammate the way you're treating your horse. No. Right? And and if I think it's easier for people who have competed at sports uh, to make this transition because 
I mean, when you push yourself physically and mentally as far as you do, like you got to be eating, right? You got to be stretching. You got to be taking care of yourself. You got to have the right equipment. And generally those people come with a higher level understanding, higher level of respect. It's going to save you a lot of liability. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves with that whole eating right thing. (laughs) All right. I'm just, just, easy does it, Jason. Easy does it. Who doesn't like a a bacon cheeseburger? There are those physical anomalies, right? Four times a day. Yeah. Drink a 12 pack and (laughs) and suck down some donuts and go run a six minute mile. Yeah. I'm not one of those guys, by the way. Oh man. I had a college teammate. There's no lie. This guy, he drank beer like a fish. And his motto was he'd sit down with an 18 pack of beer and he says, if you can't drink them before they get warm, then you deserve to drink them warm. Well, that very next day, and he did this religiously, we had like about a five-mile run around our campus when we were in college. That dude would smoke everybody, everybody on the squad after drinking 18 beers the night before. I don't know. I oh seriously don't gosh. know how he did it. He was the exception rather than the rule. I'd drink two beers, and I'd be hung over like a 12-year-old girl. Well, they're probably light beers, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the trick. I don't know, but it's it's way better than I can do for myself. I'll tell you that. Oh, you and me both, man. You and me both. I just, you know, everybody, you know, we like to drink beer. Um, I like the taste. Uh, you know, I just, you know, I like the social aspect of it. And uh, I, you know, it comes with our culture. I think. Absolutely, it does. And it, it, it's like anything else. It comes, it's just got to be done in moderation, right? These folks get Absolutely. hammered and jumped up in the saddle. Absolutely. It's just you're asking for a wreck. So, you know, there was a period I had mentioned, you know, before when we were talking that um, I was putting some stuff into my body that wasn't the greatest. And, you know, I got I got a little out of hand with my drinking. And there was a time in my life where, you know, quite a few times where I've jumped up in the saddle pretty, pretty tossed. Yeah. And uh, came out on top, probably shouldn't have come out on top, but I've done some stupid stuff. And mostly it was it was alcohol. Uh, related and could have been avoided if I had just put that drink down or said, no, I'm not going to get on that horse right now. It's like, it's like driving a vehicle. You just, you shouldn't be on a horse if you're impaired. I completely agree. I've watched it far too many times. Yeah. And even something as simple as a trail ride, man, it's like, you know, passing and I've done it too, just passing, tossing the flask back and forth on a trail ride. Well, there's still a lot of stuff that can go wrong. And, and not having that, that instant hand-eye coordination or that instant ability to, to recognize the situation you're in and deal with it accordingly. You know, the alcohol puts, puts a lag on that, and it's just, it's not good. Yeah. It's not good. I agree. So when you're done with the day, then pop open a beer. Absolutely. When Absolutely. all the horses, when all the horses have been fed, watered, and blanketed for the night, go back up to the house and crack a beer and enjoy yourself. Yeah, responsibly. Yeah, absolutely. So, in going back through your story and talking about all the jobs that you've had and all the different avenues that you've traveled and kind of always mm-hmm. having this desire to to be with the horses, what are some of the life lessons that the horses have have taught you or brought you through? You know, things that you you maybe struggled or hung up on yourself, and the horses have kind of shown you your way. Oh man, I think the number one thing is patience. I know that sounds so cliche because everybody always says patience. I feel like everybody should say patience. I would say patience, perseverance, and being soft. When I was first starting Colts, I was pretty I was pretty roughshod. And I didn't care about the horse's feelings. 
Oh, that sounds cliche too. <laughs> um, I just I wanted I I saw cowboys start horses, and by God, that's how you start a horse. You know, you snub him down, you get that saddle on, and then you hop on. And when you they just quit ride bucking, it out of them, yeah, dude. And, and when they quit bucking, then you put a bit in their mouth and deal with it that way. And don't and it works. You know, there's no question about it that that doing it that way does result in uh, a, a broke horse. It takes, I think it takes longer to get your horse truly broke doing it that way. And I think instead of working with you because they want to, they're working with you because they don't want to get their butts kicked. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. So, and I'm not, uh, we don't do the natural horsemanship thing here. And that's not, that's not what I, that's not what I believe in. That's not, uh, that's not our program. We, we, I, I wouldn't call it natural horsemanship, but we, I, I'm much more gentle with my horses. I'm much more forgiving. I'm much more patient and I'm just calmer. I, you know, I found out over the years, gee whiz, I've been doing this 15 years now, man. And, uh, I know that's not a lot of time in the grand scheme of things, but for me being 33 years old, that's most of my adult life. Yes, sir. And, in throughout these last 15 years of working with horses of all kinds, appies, uh, quarter horses, uh, Arabs, the one thing that they all have in common is they just need, you just have to be patient with them. They're, you know, they don't know what you want from them just because you know what you want from them. So it, it's a patience thing and it's a respect thing and it's a trust thing. You know, I get on a horse. I won't get on a young horse until I'm 98% sure that it's not going to throw a temper tantrum. And I, I'm sure because we do our groundwork. You can't build a house without your foundation. And you, same thing on a horse. You can't, you can't have a broke horse without a good, solid foundation. And that good, solid foundation, in my opinion and my experience, comes from that aspect of trust and respect and working with each other to accomplish a goal instead of the horse working out of a, a fear or or a worry that he's going to be uh, punished for doing something wrong. And if the horse does something wrong, yes, correct that behavior and then move on. Correct. It's like a, it's like a kid or a dog. Why would you want to beat a dog for for something that didn't he didn't deserve to get beat for so he screwed up and he and he and he peed on the carpet big deal smack him on the nose throw him outside and be done with it yep um yep. there's no reason to, to hold him down and, and whip his butt yep and it's the same with horses but good luck throwing a horse down and, and whipping it yeah without. don't slap it on the nose and throw it outside <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> um but you, you know what i'm saying it's like there's got to be there's a there's a there's a fine line between uh, between correction and over-disciplining. Yeah. And I, I see it, man, I see it so much. And I think a lot of people these days uh, need a lesson on how to use their spurs. And I think a lot of people these days need a lesson on how to uh, have softer hands. It's tough. It really is tough. And I know it's been hard for me in my journey because I mean, the horse that I have, I got, he was 12 years old already by the time I got mm -hmm. him, right? So he has a whole 
decade plus of, of handling that I don't necessarily agree with, but I wasn't there to do it. So right. it's water under the bridge. But I am grateful for all the lessons that I've learned as a result, right? Because now I'm trying to basically comb over yeah. uh, what's been done before. And I think I think back in earlier in my journey, ground game, or excuse me, groundwork, for example. Right. At first you think, you know, well, hey, we're doing this groundwork to build a skill set per se, right? Mm -hmm. An activity or a drill or, you know, running a horse through a fence or a gate or preparing to load or whatever you're doing with the ground game. Right, whatever it might be. Exactly. But if you think about it in its fundamental principle, you're not working on a skill set. You're paving the road of communication between you and your horse. Yes. That's a great way of putting it. You are learning how your horse is speaking to you and it's trying to figure out what you're trying to tell them, right? Uh So when I talk to people about, because everybody says, oh, I'm going to go out and lunch my horse and get it warmed up. In my opinion, it's absolutely useless. I mean, yeah, you're getting the blood flowing. Yeah, you're getting muscles physically warm. But groundwork, groundwork should be done to establish communication between you and your animal, that common level of respect, right? That common level of understanding. Mm -hmm. And once that's been established, there's no need for it. Let's move on to the next one. Then you can get on their on their back and start communicating with them, and they know where you're coming from, and they are they're right. understanding who you are and the amount of pressure and your body language and all sorts of stuff, you know. Right. So, well, and 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 to add on to that, uh, you make a good point because I mean, uh, throw yourself back into high school. Did you play any sports? Yeah, baseball and football. Okay, so before every baseball game, did your coach hook you up to a lunch line and make you? run around for 20 minutes in each direction before he would say, okay, now you're ready to go play. Yeah. Now let's go practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I tell people too, like w- when we talk about training and working with horses, I use the analogy of baseball. Yeah. If let's, ta- let's take a horse's stop, for example, right? A good collected stop. They're getting their rear mm-hmm. end up underneath them. When you play baseball and you want to hit a home run, you don't go out and practice home runs. Right. Right. You hit off the tee, you take soft toss, you're doing your core exercises, you're lifting right, you know, you're stretching. It's a bunch of little things that develop into this huge skill that you see on mm-hmm. TV or in the game. You know, and it's no different when you're working with a horse. And I had a great conversation recently about desensitized horses versus prepared horses. You know, and when, and when you work on those little things and you get that horse prepared, truly prepared, physically and mentally prepared to perform a task, then yeah. It's just a matter of showing them the way and then asking them to do it. Yeah, Show, showing them how and then getting out of their way to let them do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think if, if I had, I always tell people, um, you know, if you had one, one piece of advice for me and my horse, what would it be? And I always tell them uh, to ride your horse for what you want it to be. Don't ride it for who it is now. Um, because if you ride your horse, if you start a colt and you ride that horse like a colt, guess what? It's going to ride like a colt for a long time. Yeah, you're going to have and, a and, and, ten-year-old horse train- rides like a two-year-old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 behaves like a two-year-old. And two-year-olds throw temper tantrums and they soul up. And sometimes they just flat out don't do what you want them to do. Well, and the hard part I think for people is in that is that. If you don't have the accountability yourself mm-hmm. and you don't know what you're looking for in a horse or you don't even know what it feels like in a horse, right? That's, yeah. that's what I've kind of struggled with recently is you're always chasing that top tier horse, right? You want yeah. it to be athletic and intelligent and, and cognizant of what's going on. Yeah. But if you've never been exposed to horses of that caliber or you've never, you've never worked with a horse of that caliber, how are you going to show this horse that you're working with now that? 
Right. You know, it's a huge hurdle to overcome. Well, and that's one thing that, that will, that will told me is, is he said, I can, I can talk to you until you're blue in the face and I can school you until you're blue in the face and I can show you and tell you what to do until you're blue in the face. He goes, but until you actually go out there and ride a horse that is of the caliber you want to be riding, he goes, you're not going to learn. He, he says, you know, if, if you're not, <clears throat> if you don't know, excuse me, if you don't know what buttons to push, how are you going to ever know how to make one? So he said, go out and buy that horse that knows more than you do and figure out how to ride it. Figure out what the buttons are. He says, spend thirty, forty, fifty thousand $50,000 on a horse that's broke to death. It's got a good turnaround. It's got a good stop. It's cowy. And then learn how to ride that horse. And that horse and that experience will in turn make you a better rider and a better trainer because you will know those buttons to push on those high-end horses. You will know what correct feels like. If you think about it, right, here we are making all this effort to try to teach horses and show horses the way yet. Yeah. They're the ones showing us the ropes if you think about it. it's Man, it's cra- horses are crazy. Horses are humbling. They're so humbling. It, this is such a humbling business. And, and everybody and their brother, I, I shouldn't say everybody and their brother, but a lot of people think, you know, oh, I'm a horse trainer because I put a saddle on a two-year-old horse that's never had a saddle on and I rode it. So I'm a horse trainer. Yeah. Well, yes, sort of. Anybody that gets on their horse is training their horse good for good or, or bad. If you're on top of a horse, you're training on that horse, period. I, I, you know, there's no other way to say it. Well, it's a condition response animal. Yes. And, and that gives you, the rider, the responsibility to treat that horse the way you should be treating that horse. I, I have a hard time going to rodeos, man. I've got a hard time going to, going to the lower-end rodeos, that, you know, just the in-town kind of stuff. Because I just sit there and watch people whip on their horses for two yeah. hours yeah. when they don't deserve it. And, you know, and I'm not some, some PETA-loving, animal-lover, bleeding-heart type person. But when I see that kind of, of, of disrespect and aggression and just senseless, uh, senseless beatings, essentially, of your horses, it, it, it makes me think twice of, why are you even doing this? If all you're doing is getting mad at your horse for doing exactly what you asked that horse to do, why do you why do you have to sink a spur behind that back cinch? Why do you got to sink a spur in his shoulder? Why are you ripping on his face? Yeah. In that in that friggin' chain bit. I go, uh, there's no there's no reason, man. If you just slow down and approach this from a totally from the from the opposite angle that you're approaching it now. You and your horse will sink and you'll mesh so much better if you just calm down. And that's been my biggest draw in all of this. And in, in no way, shape, or form am I trying to bolster my own ego right here. But so when I got back into horses a, a couple years back, I was going to chase that team roping route. Mm-hmm. And I bought this horse. And this horse was very, very, very successful. I mean, it roped in, in, in the finals there in Vegas. Oh, nice. I think two years, maybe a year or two years before I had, I had purchased them is what I was told. Uh-huh. Very, very good head horse, right? He's very good at his job. But, I mean, we go to the pre-purchase, and the horse literally will not go to the right on a lunge line. 
will not go to the right. He's scared of his own shadow. He gets all amped up as soon as you pull him out of the stall. And it got me thinking that there's got to be a better way to do this. I don't want to, I don't want to be out roping and be in a fight all the time. And that's when I started to look into this horsemanship, horsemanship stuff. And I've gotten so immersed in it now that I, I quit rope. I haven't swung a rope from the back of a horse in probably two years. Mm-hmm. The joy that you get in truly creating a partner in horsemanship, it's second to none. And yeah, I might be taking two or three years off from this whole roping deal, but I think, good Lord willing, I get back into it. The success is going to come in leaps and bounds because of the effort and the education that I've, I've achieved in horsemanship. You know what I'm saying? Creating that willingness yeah. rather than him running down a stair because he's afraid he's going to get the guts kicked out of him if he don't. Right. What's the sense in that, man? That horse now is not working because it wants to. Yeah. It's out of fear. Fear and survival. Yes. It's a I, shame. I just, man, it is a shame. And, you know, we've gone, we've been talking now. Holy cow. I haven't talked to anybody on the phone this long since I was in high school, Jason. Gee whiz. I'm glad I could do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized throughout this entire conversation, I have neglected to uh, mention probably most definitely the number one reason why I'm sitting here talking to you right now, and that is um, the good Lord above has blessed me uh, with this with this skill set, and I didn't realize that it was uh, him working through me until oh golly three year, two year, two and a half years ago. I got baptized on my, I was baptized as a kid, as a, as a child, but I got baptized on my own accord, uh, two and two and a half years ago. And that's when things really started to flourish. When I gave it all and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior, that's when, that's when everything started falling into place. And that's when I started realizing that the way I was dealing with these horses was not the way that I should be dealing with these horses. It's incredible to hear because I tell people who, who, I mean, I try to get you through to, through to people who I see disrespecting a horse, right? But if they're yeah. just not getting it, I tell them, man, you got to understand, that's God's creation that you're sitting on right now. Mm-hmm. And one day you're going to have to answer for everything that you're doing. Amen. Everything right now. You're the one that has to answer to it, not me. As far as, yeah, you, you know, you get up to the pearly gates. I hate to use that euphemism because it's, I think it's overused, but you get up there and Hey, um, I was watching you a couple of years ago whip the crap out of that horse that didn't deserve it. What's up with that? Yeah. Well, uh, you're going to have to answer for it. Yeah. I don't want to be responsible for that. And, um, you know, I believe that when I get asked that question, I say, you're right. I did. I did whip the crap out of that horse and I deserve to get double barreled right in the chest or I deserve to get bucked off. I said, but I have since changed my ways and here's 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 my proof yeah here's my resume yeah so there you go and i will say the funny thing is i got baptized and two days later i met my wife it's it's incredible to hear how folks lives have turned around i mean we've had drew horner on the show we've had trey johnson chuck swisher jr vizane we just had you know last week and well even jr's story man what you know what a testament to the fact that that Jesus Christ is is alive and well in him. Oh, I, I, I spent half the interview in goosebumps just listening oh. to him talk. I mean, the dude is definitely cut from a different cloth and yeah. just a first-class, all-around great human being. And and, mm-hmm. and I said it in the episode, if, if you ain't a 
fired up about faith and a believer in Christ after listening to Jr.'s testimony, then then good luck to you. I'm I'm excited to hear his interview. You know, it's it's a uh, it's exciting stuff. And but the common thread in a lot of these guys' testimony is just that, right? I started out on a path where I was a believer as a child, veered off in the wrong direction, refound my faith, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I refound my faith that just all this positive energy and positive experience just starts pouring into their lives. And and I'm a firm believer in it myself that all the opportunities that I've been presented, it's not because of me. It's not because I'm any good at any of this, right? God has graced me and given me a platform in which hopefully I can leave a legacy better than, than what I found. And, and that's a lot of the premise of this podcast as well, you know? Man, it's just God is good and took me 30 years to realize it. But um, God is good. He wouldn't do anything to hurt us. But on the flip side of that, and I'm learning this right now, I've got, I've got a guy that is kind of mentoring me through my faith. And, uh, you know, people always ask the question, well, well, that guy got bucked off his horse and killed. Well, what kind of a God would allow that to happen? I've learned that God does not interfere with free will. You know, he'll let whatever is going to happen, happen. Part and of his then, plan. Right. And and he does have a plan. And clearly his plan for me right now is what we're doing. And, you know, if that changes, I'll, uh, my family and I are ready to drop whatever we need to drop and follow him wherever he says we need to go and do whatever it is he wants us to do. Because life can change in an instant, in a second, and it's better off not to ask why and just do what you need to do. Do what he wants you to do, I guess you could say, better like that. Yeah, and that's what I found in, in my journey is that, you know, before when I was down and out and I guess really struggling with faith is kind of the biggest advent of it. When you're down and out, you you play that whole poor me game, right? Why me and why is this happening to me and how come I can't do this? And you're comparing yourselves to other people versus now the change in perspective is, you know, God's got my back. There's a lesson to be learned in all of this right, wrong, or indifferent, and I'm responsible for working as hard as I can every single day and let him take care of the rest. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot more confidence in living life that way. It's a lot easier. You know, there's less anxiety and stress and pressure and all that stuff. And Oh, man. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying everything is, you know, hunky-dory. There, there are struggles and, and there's things that you need to work on. And there's times mm-hmm. when I'm down, but really, really falling back on that faith, it's a huge confidence booster you know, and facing yeah. challenges. Oh, it is. And it, uh, and it helps too. Uh, you know, whether or not your prayers get answered, I think, I think praying is one of the best things you can do because you're, you're working through your problems or your, uh, your doubts or whatever you're working through at that time, you know, you're saying it out loud or in your head and you can have a conversation just even with yourself. And in that conversation, I think, you know, whether whether you get an answer right away from the Lord or you say something and, and, and you realize, oh, crap, well, I just answered my own question. Why am I doing this behavior or why am I not doing this behavior? You know, why why haven't why haven't I treated this horse this way? And sometimes you just answer your own question. Yeah, it's incredible perspective. Actually, I never really even considered that side of it. You know, the self teach or the self self thought, self reflection side of it. Or, I mean, you could you could say that I'm crazy for saying that and say that, well, hey, dummy, God was giving you that answer. That's not yourself giving you that answer. And it's a whole different side of it, right? And we talk about how many times has God intervened. You think about horses talking to you as a human being. 
you know, they give us a whole, a whole bunch of cues and clues and, and mannerisms and body language. Do, do we as human beings have the wherewithal to pick up on it? You know, I think there's a parallel in faith. I think oftentimes there are signs or clues that we don't pick up on, right? Because yeah. of whatever distraction in our life. It's all, it's all very, very powerful stuff. So as we start to wrap things up here, I like to give all the guests an opportunity to kind of sell yourself. You know, if folks wanted to follow you, where they can find you, if they want to get a hold of you, if they want to board a horse or, you know, board a horse at your facility, where can they find Preston Martineau and all the Diamond M information? Diamond M information is on our website, www.diamondmhorsetraining.com, all one word, diamondmhorsetraining.com. Um, you can check us out on our social media page on Instagram. It's at Diamond MHT and Facebook is at Diamond M Horse Training LLC. We need to we need to be better about our social media. I have a hard time doing the social media thing on the business page because I'm riding horses. I'm not taking pictures. <laughs> um, but I do I do give updates uh, and occasionally we do some swag giveaways. So if you guys want to follow us on Facebook or Instagram, we would love to invite you to do that and follow us and participate in our journey as I grow as a trainer and uh, our business grows. Uh, hopefully it's a successful business. My goal is to show in the Snafflebit Futurity in 2020. Good stuff, man. So that's our short-term goal. We have a lot of people uh, and businesses that believe in us, that are behind us. And Team Equine Saddle Pads uh, has been one of our most faithful sponsors. Uh, Ducas Forge does all my horseshoeing and trimming and forge and stuff like that. Murray Hay and Cattle local business here in Lebanon. We get all our feed from them. As far as I'm concerned, they've got the best best horse feed in the Willamette Valley. And uh, and then Buckaroo Leather Products, who uh, John Brand is the owner of that. And I'm just, I'm blown away with his generosity and uh, the quality of tack that he puts out. It's cow, it's, it's, you can get some cowboy tack. You can get some performance horse tack. It's kind of everything across the board with him. So if you guys get a chance, um, if any of you listening are in need of anything like that, please check those folks out. Uh, Team Equine Saddle Pads, Buckaroo Leather, Ducas Forge, and Murray Hay and Cattle. They've been extremely generous to us uh, during this show season, and uh, we appreciate their support. And I hope that we are, um, I hope that we're making them happy with the way that uh, we're scoring and placing and everything like that. So thank you to our sponsors. Um, for the faith. That's awesome, Preston. And I'm obviously grateful for our relationship. You know, it's exciting to kind of catch you early on in your, your professional career. And I'm excited to see yeah, where this man. is going to go and where it's going to take you. And hopefully, yeah. uh, maybe I can wander up the highway a little bit. We could ride a little bit one day together, you know? Yeah, man. Um, you know, we're going to be all over the place this winter. And then uh, starting spring show season, we've got a bunch of horses to start. So you're always welcome. We've got a, we've got our living quarters horse trailer that's like our guest room. I love it. The guest suite, so, right? The guest the, suite. Yeah, uh, dude. It's a it, yeah. You guys, you get your own fridge, your own <laughs> kitchen, um, your own bathroom. It's perfect. And then you don't have to. Then you don't have to wake up and, and listen to my to my son playing with his noisy toys and stepping on uh, 
Tonka truck. Yeah, and firing stuff. Cheerios at everybody. Oh, dude, stepping on. I stepped on uh, um, a little bulldozer yesterday, a small little metal bulldozer in my bare feet. I was going to say, you want to test the discipline. Dude, holy cow. Yeah, try not coming unglued. (laughs) I love it, man. Well, so as we wrap up, I always like to give a guest, you know, a couple moments of of parting words or final message if you'd like to share with everybody here at Let Freedom Reign. Parting words. Man, way to put me on the spot, Jason. Um, I would would tell everybody, um, if you're just starting, I'm going to, I'm going to, my parting words are going to be, I'm going to go back to when I was just starting and try and help those that are just learning how to do whatever they're learning how to do on horses, whether it's, you know, showing or trail riding or just for fun. Don't give up. You have picked one of the hardest businesses on the planet to try and succeed at. Everybody and their brother tries to do this. And and a lot of them don't succeed. And I, I think they don't succeed because they give up. So what if you train a horse and you put a bunch of time and money into it and then you go to sell it and you don't get what you wanted, you lose a little bit of money. Big deal. On to the next one. And then on to the next one. You just don't give up. And if it's your passion, if it's what you feel is driving you through life is to work with horses and or to train horses or to show horses in whatever capacity you want to do it, get out there and do it. Find somebody that you like that is proficient in it that you can go apprentice for or clean stalls for. I was lucky. I didn't have to do the whole – I didn't have to slave for a trainer cleaning stalls and exercising horses i kind of just got thrown right into riding the good ones which is unheard of but have faith pray and and just hang in there because if you put in the work just like in anything if you put in the work you're going to get out of it what you put into it and if you half-ass it you're going to get half-ass results and if you go full bore full strength into it you're going to get the best results possible and you will succeed you just can't give up it's going to be hard. I promise you it's going to be hard and you're going to cry and you're going to get hurt and this, that, and the other, but power on through it. Ask the Lord for strength. Ask him to help you persevere and just get it done. That's awesome stuff. That's my advice. Awesome stuff, Preston. Well, we sure appreciate all your time. And and we know you're busy with your family and all the horses you're working on up there and, and getting your facility up and running, but um, hey, I've, I've got to ask you one question, Jason. Go for it. Uh, you said you're. You said you played baseball. Yes, sir. So I'm assuming you're following the World Series. I have not been watching it as religiously as I should. I'll tell okay, you that right you, now. Who Who do you want to win, though? All right. So the the wife's whole side's from Boston, buddy. Okay. So I I got to go with the Red Sox because I okay. appreciate my marriage and my family and, and my in laws. <laughs> <laughs> hey man i was born and raised in la uh, i hate the dodgers with every last piece of my soul i love it i love it i love so, it hey go giants but in the meantime <laughs> in the meantime let's have the red Sox come out on top let's and go Sox. World Series. i love it all right brother <laughs> well i sure appreciate your time again we're looking forward to talking to you down the road and and hearing updates from diamond m and seeing what you guys got going in next season Hey, we appreciate you having us. God bless you, and and God bless all the listeners. Thank you, guys. All right, brother. We'll talk to you later. Yep, you bet. 
Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.